Football.com and the Dealer Family of Podcasts. That's Tommy B. I'm ESFD. This is the Super Flex Super Show, and here we go with some with some. We're gonna do some predictions. This this was your brainchild, Tommy. So I should really be letting you introduce it. But I just I I just ride the wave. and just try and uh just try and intro the episode as best as we can but like i think that there are a lot of podcasts right now that are going to be making predictions for the 2024 season uh to me this is a lot more useful we're trying to predict (laughs) some things for the summer of 2024 before the season starts when uh you know, when the, when there's a, a, for one thing, there's a much greater opportunity to actually do some roster building. <laughs> You're not just kind of stuck with what you've got, you know? So yeah, it's, to me, it's really interesting stuff. I love talking about this type of stuff, uh, January, February, March, because everyone wants to talk about rookies. I want to talk about the market, the dynasty market in general, because it doesn't act like the stock market. There is no regulatory body that is keeping the train on the tracks. And we know that every single off season, players get overcooked, positions are misunderstood. And I think if we're working through these types of considerations right now, there are huge edges to be gained. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, that's just kind of, that's the, that's really your opportunity to kind of detail some rosters in dynasty. That's when people, you know, kind of come out of hibernation and become active in trading again. But like you said, there's also a, a there's, there's a ton of irrationality <laughs> around, uh, you know, OTAs, mini camp, training camp, preseason. Um, there's uh, people kind of, we're, we're, we're separated enough at that point. We're far enough out from the end of the season that people kind of forget like what, you know, the way the different positions behave uh, if, if nothing else. So yeah, it, it, it's a, it is a very good point in the season in the non-point scoring season to really kind of target. So Mm -hmm. I think we should jump in with some of your, uh, your predictions Let's do it. And let's preface this. This is a crystal ball undertaking. We're trying to really peek through the curtains and see something that isn't really knowable right now. So are these takes going to be right? Almost certainly not. I'm going I'm to start there. But <laughs> we're talking about situations and profiles and, and the different positions because we want to figure out um, maybe what our best guess might be. And so that's what these takes are. Um, I want to start at running back, though. I've been thinking a lot about two things, the 2017 RB class that is aging out some rapidly uh, like Dalvin cook, some much more uh, beautifully like Christian McCaffrey and others in the middle, like Alvin Kamara. And then we've got this rookie class in 2024 that is supposed to be admittedly kind of bad at the running back position. And so if I'm putting on my prognostication hat and thinking about how NFL teams are going to handle these elite running backs aging out and a uninspiring rookie class, 
I want to ask you, John, what do you think is going to happen at the running back position? Because my thought is, I think we actually could have more bell cow situations in the NFL. I think that there are going to be backfields where the backup and third string running back maybe aren't as trustworthy as they have been in recent years. And by that logic, the number one option is going to be leaned on for more carries and touches than in the previous years. Yeah, I think so too. I, the other thing that people really kind of forget about, like, you know, kind of start looking at this rookie class and start looking at rookie profiles and start thinking in, in terms of talent. And that's never been the issue with running backs. We've, we've talked about that, so I won't beat a dead horse, but, uh, you know, simply put chasing quote unquote talent at running back is missing everything else that goes into running back productivity. And one of the big things that actually does drive that productivity is, I mean, it's, it's the system, it's the scheme, it's the coaching. We're about to see a lot of movement. In terms of of coaching, you're going to see a lot of teams switching to a new system and kind of the training wheels for a new offensive system is a focus on a running game. You know, not to mention the fact that we've got some guys, you know, taking on head coaching roles, most likely, you know, a a great example of this, um, you know, where it's going to kind of boost the running back position more than anything else. It looks like the LA Chargers are about to hire Jim Harbaugh. Like that's going to be that all of a sudden that turns that into a very run heavy, uh, you know, very run oriented offense. Um, partly because of the you know him kind of transitioning into that role. Um, partly you know a, a way to kind of protect Justin Herbert a little bit while he learns a new system. Uh, you're also going to have a new group of wide receivers who have to learn this this system as well and have to learn the quarterback. There's kind of a lot going on, a lot of moving parts there. And a way to just kind of slow everything down and take the focus off of all those, uh, uh, you know, all, all of those uh, uh, those those kind of pain points that you've that you just kind of naturally get with a new coach is to focus on the run. Loving the idea of Isaiah Spiller in that offense with Jim Harbaugh. The one thing that I would, uh, the the only thing keeping me from going all in on, on Isaiah Spiller is a possibility that they also draft somebody, particularly a Blake Corum reunion uh, with Harbaugh. But either way, like regardless of who it is, Isaiah Spiller super cheap right now. Whoever whoever kind of rises to the top of that depth chart, that's still just that's just a situation that you want to target and forget about what you think about the talent. Those are great points. To bring it back to fantasy, I, I kind of want to talk through how we're going to approach this from a roster construction standpoint and from a market standpoint. So if we are to assume that we're going to have more bell cow running backs. Does that mean that backup running backs matter slightly less because the role players aren't going to be as streamable? And if that's also the case, does that mean we should roster fewer running backs and maybe push up closer to that top 12 to 18 running backs 
that could uh, be leaned on for the tune of, I don't know, 350 touches. Right, right. Which we know is a rhetorical question. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, I mean, you know, to that point, and, and part of it is even if even if you're right about the number of running backs who kind of emerge in workhorse, if not bell cow type roles, if you're right about that, the thing that that we still don't know is who are those players. So you want as many bites at the apple as you possibly can. Like I said, L.A. could be a very good situation for somebody. Isaiah Spiller right now is is uh, can be acquired fairly easily. And then if they do draft Blake Corum, I mean, you know, you, now you have to spend a little bit more to get him. But still, you've got multiple shots at a potential bell cow. And like you said, 300, 350 touches um, in a Jim Harbaugh offense like that's 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 pretty powerful to a point where it's worth chasing, even though you don't know who it is, who that's going to be. Absolutely. And some harbingers of this would be players that are sitting out all of the preseason games, right? If we're to fast forward to mid-August, uh, if running backs aren't getting a single touch in the preseason, that to me spells that we could have a pretty strong emerging situation. Um, the other thing I'm thinking as well is maybe going more running back heavy than I have in years past, not at the backup position, but loading up on those starters. Because like you said, if this isn't predictive, who is going to be, you know, the RB1 overall, not named Christian McCaffrey, maybe I need to just grab a whole bunch of starters. And if I hit big, I can trade some of those players away to my league mates and sort of rebalance my roster with a decent value gain as well. Yeah, exactly. This is just all, all of this is just how the running backs fit in the flywheel, right? This is like, this is their output is just kind of the, the, uh, the low value now here in January versus the potential value spike over the summer. And it's, it, you know, it, but you just need as many of those as you can get to make sure that you've got some guys who are going to take, uh, take advantage of that value spike. Um, and so that you're getting that full output into your, into your roster, into your flywheel. So uh, have, have you thought much about it? It's, it's tough because, you know, I don't know how much names necessarily matter. Like, like I said, to me, Isaiah Spiller is a, is kind of a, um, a good speculative ad, uh, Zamir white. We've kind of talked about, um, it, you know, we haven't talked nearly enough about this Rico Dowdle, mm -hmm. um, should be a good one, but like, have you thought about some of the guys that you think by that point in the summer could be in the type of position where, um, you know, there, there's at least that possibility of that value jump. Absolutely. I, I think there's plenty of candidates, right? Uh, a few obvious ones, Ramondre Stevenson, Brian Robinson, uh, Tajay Spears. We've kind of talked about all these guys before. Jerome Ford, some less heralded guys. Uh, James Conner. Honestly, I'm considering really adding a lot of James Conner this non-point scoring season. Same with Khalil Herbert, Kendra Miller. 
Um, and Damian Pierce. I think Damian Pierce is an intriguing add this non-point scoring season because it sure feels like he's going to be cast off of the Houston Texans roster. And he's done it before. What if he ends up in a run-heavy offense? I think he could be somebody that could see a massive value gain. Yeah, I like that too. I also just kind of just, you know, just kind of as a blanket statement, don't sleep on the rookies, you know. Mm-hmm. I you're going to hear about how bad this rookie class is for running backs. And it's also there's a little bit of a kind of a uh a component of relativism because the wide receivers are look very good. It doesn't change the fact that wide receiver just doesn't matter that much. <laughs> and especially the closer we get to the point of oversaturation. But like in the meantime, sure. Yeah. You've got some very, very good, very talented wide receivers coming in here. Some of them are going to end up with quite a bit of draft capital. Some of them are going to end up in some very good landing spots, but don't let that distract from the fact that the running backs are just going to have a, a more, a, a higher leverage opportunity. And that's almost across the board, you know, like the, the some of the wide receivers, we just don't know which ones for sure. People are going to claim to, people are going to say Marvin Harrison Jr. is can't miss. He's not, but okay. Like, you can you can certainly pretend he is. He's still going to walk into a situation somewhere where they've they're they're pretty strong at wide receiver because right at the moment who isn't and there's still going to be the opportunity there's still going to be the possibility that he gives you I mean what Jackson Smith Najigba just did or what Traylon Burks did the year you know the year prior. Like we we just don't know how that's going to shake out. What we do know is the running backs are just kind of by necessity going to have a clear path into their NFL lineups and therefore into your your fantasy lineups. So, uh, you know, it, it's so important to just kind of separate those two positions and just treat them completely differently because they are. They're just the they're just built very differently. And so to say, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to draft any rookie running backs because they're not as talented as the rookie wide receivers. You're doing yourself a disservice because you're ignoring what those two positions actually do with that talent, with that supposed talent. Absolutely. Any, any rookie running back that is drafted, in the NFL draft in the third or fourth round is a good pick, in my opinion, somewhere in the middle second round of your Superflex dynasty rookie draft. I don't think there's such a thing as a bad pick at the 206 of any third or fourth round running back because we're still not great at predicting who is going to be good. Let draft capital do it for you and let situations clarify throughout the season. We don't we don't have to be good at this. We just have to get lucky. And if you get a lot of bites at the apple at a very low cost of a 206, that feels to me like a really strong strategy to potentially hit on one of these these bell cows that we're predicting. Yep, absolutely. Um one I guess kind of one thing that I that I would look at for running backs and it, like this is, it, it's really kind of the 
the Amir Abdullah effect, I think. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I still think it's worth targeting good situations um, in particular. Uh, you know, it, and again, like, that's part of the appeal of the LA Chargers. It's, it's really kind of the situation, but... Uh, you know, there's a possibility that somebody just because they're in a very good offense in a very good scheme, whatever, you know, during the preseason, they end up inflating their stock pretty significantly. And so, you know, kind of, kind of targeting some of those situations as well, I think can be super useful. And a big part of it is probably to target some of the uh, some of the safer jobs, honestly, um, especially older guys, uh, Christian McCaffrey, whoever ends up kind of next up on the depth chart behind Christian McCaffrey is going to end up being a huge buy. Um, and you know, a big, a, a, like part of the, uh, part of the issue, um, is going to, you know, part of what's going to depress their value until they have that kind of showcase moment in the preseason is the fact that right now Christian McCaffrey is there. And so conceptually, how does this player overcome Christian McCaffrey? And it's like, eh, he, but he doesn't have to, like he can be, he can be a good backup for a year and then, and then become a very good starter uh, in place of the departed Christian McCaffrey. So, you know, a, a certain amount of it is just kind of targeting a situation and saying, all right, it's set right now, but it's not going to stay that way. A couple other situations that struck a chord with me, Indianapolis, the backup to Jonathan Taylor, I believe next year is going to be Evan Hall, who was a rookie this year, got hurt, had some promise, um, apparently talented, but we didn't get to see it. So I think that that's one of those really low investments that you can make this offseason, this non-point scoring season, to attack one of those uh, quote-unquote stable situations. Same with whoever ends up next to Devon Achan. I don't know if it's going to be Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert next year. I think we could see some new faces in that backfield. So whoever joins Devon Achan, sure, sign me up for the cost of a late second-round pick. Um you want to move on though? I've got a couple other kind of hot takes and I want to get your thoughts on them. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. Let, let, let me uh, bring back a, a throwback segment here and say, all right, Tommy Blair, show us your nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally forgot about that segment. <laughs> <laughs> One of my all time favorites. It was yeah, so, totally. it, was, it was so fun to, to kind of sneak attack guests with that. <laughs> like asking, saying, "Okay, Ryan McDowell, show us your nuts." That's like a that's like a career defining moment for me. He was like, "I was not expecting that." <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm just gonna pretend that didn't happen. Um, at the wide receiver position, I have a projection for the wide receiver who is going to gain the most dynasty market value, and it's a name that might surprise you. It's Drake London. In looking at all of his advanced metrics, he just hits it out of the park. He has great route participation. He's at two yards per route run, 29% of the time. He's the first read in the offense. It's just freaking Arthur Smith, man. The pass volume wasn't there. And the quarterback 
just disappeared repeatedly on him. I can't tell you how many times I saw a football thrown eight feet over Drake London's head. And I think that with the changeover in Atlanta, with the potential for Belichick or some other competent head coach, and the introduction of hopefully a veteran quarterback, I think we're going to have camp highlights. I think we're going to have off-season buzz that is going to be very similar to what Chris Godwin had before his breakout year or Calvin Ridley or Vincent Jackson. These receivers where their talent was always there, but it took them two seasons to put it together, um, to have the situation and all the ingredients come together to a point where they explode for a 1,400-yard season with 10 touchdowns. I see that happening with Drake London, and I think there's going to be a lot of savvy people on the microphone this offseason that are saying exactly that, and I want to get in before they let everyone know. So I, you're nuts, um, but not <laughs> like <laughs> not like way off the reservation nuts or anything like that. Uh, for it, it for me, it's like it's it's hypothetical on both sides of this. I think because. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, who's a quarterback? You know, is it uh, is it going to be, um, you know, Justin Fields? Is it going to be, you know, Russell Wilson? Like those are some of the guy, possibly Kirk Cousins. Maybe they look at. But the other thing is, who's the head coach? Right now, it seems like the wind is blowing towards Bill Belichick in Atlanta, and he has never been i well i can't say never obviously if we go all the way back to 2007 16 years ago he had an alpha you know type possession type wide receiver you know perimeter guy in randy moss and he actually you know made him a focal point of the offense they won every single game except for the last one and ever since then, he was like, nope, that doesn't work. You, you finish 18 and one instead of 19 and 0, and that's not good enough. So, yeah, the way to win in this league is to run the football. It's to, and it's to dump it off short to your tight ends and your slot receivers. And if he's going to run the same type of offense, like it, 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 it makes me worry about Drake London. My other, concern with drake london i wonder how much of this was uh i you know i i'll 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 concede 90 percent of the problem was arthur smith at the end of the day arthur smith can call whatever he wants to call whether it's desmond ritter or taylor hineke they have to they have to actually execute that call and you know, if they see something that they're going to, they're going to audible out, if they're going to, you know, make any kind of adjustments or anything, they just, they, they just transition right out of whatever crappy play call Arthur Smith just made. And so it like, it's, it's a little hard for me to totally uh, let Drake London off the hook. Um, I, you could say it was quarterback play as well, but I, I I don't think that we can completely attribute it to the head coach. And I don't think we could completely attribute uh, 
it to Bill Belichick either. But you know, I like that. It's just it, it's just kind of this litany of concerns um, that makes me wonder uh, how you know if we can actually get this off the runway. Not an unreasonable rebuttal. To me, this is the exact same thing I was struggling with last non-point scoring season with Michael Pittman. The underlying metrics were there for him as well. I did not like the quarterback situation, particularly with a rookie coming in. I didn't really love the head coach. I didn't love the offensive scheme. But you know what? Michael Pittman was really good. He showed very similar things to Drake London. To me, this is an opportunity to gain upside, right? There are a lot of unknowns, but if he hits sevens, like I think that this could be something that we're all looking back 12 months from now and just saying like, how the heck did we leave Drake London buried at wide receiver 36? And what I'll do to you, John, is I'll challenge you. Who do you think, if not Drake London, come August is going to have the highest wide receiver value gain? You can't pick a rookie. Um, let's see, possibly Jordan Addison. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let me think on that a minute. Uh, possibly Devonte Adams, um, you know, kind of depending on, uh, actually, all right, here, here's my actual answer. I think is Jaden Reed. Uh, great answer. <laughs> I kind of think that over the course of time, we're finally going, the fever's finally going to break on Christian Watson. I think that we're finally about to, uh, to, to fully understand the way that offense works and that Christian Watson is generally kind of an afterthought when you've got Jaden Reed and Romeo Dubs healthy. I like that one. Um, I don't know. We should we should put a little bet on this um, yeah. because I, I still feel stronger about London. I think that there's alpha potential with London. There's 160 target potential with London that we're just not going to see probably in the Green Bay offense. I think that there are too many capable pass catchers there. I think that the offensive scheme supports spreading the ball around to giving everyone five targets as opposed to 11. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of a tough bet. And, you know, admittedly, like it kind of favors my side of it because Jaden Reed has a lot more room to jump, you know, and he's got easier players to jump over. Um, But I, I mean, I would even go so far as to say, I think that by that point, Jaden Reed probably has uh, greater value, higher ADP, whatever, however you want to measure it, than mm-hmm. Drake Drake London, uh, for whatever that's worth, right or wrong. Um, All right, that's that's kind of that's my guess. Whoever loses, we'll say um, week three of the preseason is the deadline. Whoever loses this bet of. Uh, which wide receiver gains the most value between today and then I'd be happy to write a formal apology and read it out (laughs) on air. How does that sound? (laughs) Fair enough. I can do that. too. (laughs) (laughs) And like a heartfelt one too. I I want a real apology from you, John. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start practicing now. (laughs) Tommy, 
I'm just just like uh I'm I'm just gonna start studying like um politicians apologizing for their discretions <laughs> in <laughs> indiscretions and uh yeah just start just just put together the most perfect apology ever and then not even have to deliver it because Jaden Reed is is legitimately better than Drake London. <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna piss you off even more though because <laughs> nice. i have a tight end take that i think you're gonna hate and i don't feel super strong on it yet but the more entrenched you get the the stronger i think i'm gonna feel um so moving on there is an upper crust at tight end now there's probably what like six seven tight end ones that everybody really wants to have in january However, come August, situations are going to change. Rookies are going to be drafted. Players are going to be hurt. Quarterbacks are going to be sailing passes in training camp, whatever. This top six or seven is not going to stay as grouped together as it is right now. There's going to be a faller. There's going to be somebody that the market fades for good or bad reasons. And of the top six or seven, the player I think most likely to fall is Trey McBride. Oh, damn it. Like, I was fully on board with this. I was like, yep, this is <laughs> happening. This is happening. Tra oh, yeah. Trey McBride, he went there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel uh, like I had to. I feel like I owed it to the super fans to attack maybe one of your favorite players, especially at the tight end position. Yeah. My tight end three, one spot behind Mark Andrews. Uh-huh. Who, by the way, is a much greater candidate for this drop-off um with isaiah likely already on board with uh and you know emerging in andrew's absence um with all of the receiving weapons that you already have in that offense and on top of that the fact that you've got a quarterback who doesn't particularly like to throw so like uh Mark Andrews, George Kittle, like those are to me, those are the guys who are more likely to drop off. But um I like I'm not, again, I'm not gonna say you're totally nuts on this because all it takes is for them to go sign, you know, a younger Zach Ertz, and all of a sudden everybody's right back off at Trey McBride. And we're not talking about how are guys gonna perform. We're talking about how are they going to be valued going into the season? Yep. And like, yeah, there's, there's a path to this. It sickens me, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a way for this to come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, he was legitimately the top option in the offense for the Arizona Cardinals. I'm, I'm not going to deny that. What I'm going to say is there's going to be chatter this off season, especially if a Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, is drafted in Arizona, especially if another wide receiver is brought in to replace Marquise Brown and optimism reigns with Kyler Murray, you know, to Marvin Harrison Jr. 20 yards down the field. McBride's going to be a forgotten man. I think it's a, a possibility in the dynasty market. Will that happen come October? I don't think so. But out of the top six tight ends, he's the guy that I could see the market just deciding they're not in on anymore and him falling in value. And really what I want to have a discussion about is not necessarily Trey McBride. It's what do you do when there is a cluster of the, these very similar valued players? 
are you interested in maybe liquidating and just buying back in later in the off season? That way you can avoid some of this risk. Uh, it, like it kind of depends on the situation. I think this is a tough one though. And I think this is something that the dynasty owners just generally across the board probably struggle with. So, um, you know, it like from Trey McBride, Sam Laporta, Dalton Kincaid, like I just fully buy into those. So I don't really see the the need to uh you know to to tear down from those guys because you're just kind of going from a, a position of um an actual advantage to just kind of jumping into jumping into the crowd of you know, tight end streamers. And I like, I really do think that overall there's, there's an advantage to having the guys that, uh, that are just kind of every week starters. Um, but I mean, it, it really kind of is a, like a, a preferential thing as far as who those guys are. Um, so, you know, it's not great analysis. It's not great advice to say, yeah, I would hold on to Trey McBride. Like it's, it's more of a, like a gut feeling type of thing. It's more like, this is what I'm doing with my rosters. I feel really good about Trey McBride um, to a point where I think that he gives you a significant advantage over, you know, Evan Ingram uh, or, or uh, um, yeah, so yeah, some of those other, the more mid, guys darren waller i suppose like the guys in that greg dulcich i don't even know if greg dulcich is in that in that tier i don't know that he belongs in that tier but Jawan johnson like it like the, i i feel like it's such an advantage to have trey mcbride rather than Jawan johnson that i would that i would stay put but if it's not somebody that i feel that strongly about but the market does i don't know why you wouldn't like like I said, to me, Mark Andrews seems like a good candidate to lose some value uh, throughout the preseason um, and certainly through the season itself. And so that's a like, I don't, you know, if, if, if you're on board with that take, I don't know why you wouldn't trade him. Uh, you know, I, like I still have him ranked as my tight end too. I don't know that that's going to stick all, all non-point scoring season, you know? And so, like, if you agree with that part of it, that right now he's a tight end too, but that he's probably won't stay there. Yeah, like, that's, it's time to move him. Yeah, I just see Trey McBride, uh, Dalton Kincaid, Kyle Pitts, I mean, a few other guys having such similar values that I would be tempted to go cross-positionally here um, and then figure out my tight end in August. I, I think that you don't have to tear down within the position to really insulate your value today in January. Um, I don't know. It just, it feels like there is some sort of value cliff and one tight end is going to be driving off of it. And I'm just not sure which one, and I'm a little nervous for, for my <laughs> tight end roster ship. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's pretty much a certainty, right? Yeah. I think that that one guy that we can say for certain is going to get a value drop at some point is Brock Bowers. 
Like yep. that's, that's the ultimate one to take advantage of because people are thinking about as much as they're thinking about Marvin Harrison in the top three picks, they're talking, they're thinking about Brock Bowers in the top five picks. And we just, how often does this actually work out that way? You know, yeah. that the top tight end in the class, especially when it's a can't miss superstar ends up being Kyle Pitts at best, you know, and more likely Eric Ebron or Jermaine Grisham. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're giving me nightmares now. Flashbacks. <laughs> Did, were you in on Eric Ebron? Uh, n- no, not totally. Yeah. They, so they had just drafted Brandon Pettigrew like a year or two before that. And I was like, like, how many tight ends are you guys going to draft? And act like you're actually going to throw it to them and not Calvin Johnson. Get, like, get out of here. This is very transparent to me. <laughs> so, so I, I mostly avoided that one. Um, but it's like I still had to had to buy into it at least to some degree. And like it, it just like everybody else, it ended up hurting. Yeah, where are you at on Michael Mayer? Um, I like certainly a chance for, uh, I like, I don't think that he flashed enough mm-hmm. and I'm, and this might be, that might be a good question for you. Cause like you're, you do a lot more work on just kind of historically what type of profiles, um, you know, what is it, what does it take? What do you have to see from a player in their rookie year, their second year, whatever, um, to feel like, all right, this is, uh, like on a, this is on an upward trajectory that's going to continue. Um, like I'm just kind of spitballing, but I don't feel like we saw quite enough from Michael Mayer to say, oh yeah, breakouts coming. I think that he can certainly be in that that kind of that mid-tier. Um, and in fact, I, you know, I would have absolutely no problem taking him over Dallas Goddard, uh, you know, to be my tight end one um when the time comes but like neither of those guys is anywhere close to what you're getting with guys like McBride, Laporta, Kincaid. There's so little predictive um I haven't found anything predictive, I'll say that in evaluating tight ends after their rookie year. I think that the position is such a unicorn that it's really difficult to look at data and draw a reasonable conclusion as far as what their future performance is going to be. And so I rely on trading for old guys. And I also rely on people who are legitimately good at analyzing film, like Andrew Cooper. Uh, I think it's at Coop Fiasco on Twitter, because I know that he's better than me at evaluating tight ends. I'm not a great film guy. And if the numbers don't give me an advantage, I need to find it elsewhere. Um, It's just, it doesn't exist in my head. And so that's how I approach the Michael Mayer type profile. I'm intrigued by it and would love to buy low. I'm just not sure what low is. And that's why I wanted to ask you about him. And I've been asking other folks as well, because I've been playing in tight end premium leagues. And if you get these tight ends, right. If you hit on a Trey McBride, like that is multiple first round picks of value gain. What would you, what would you sell Trey McBride for in a tight end premium league right now? Uh, like, 
I mean, I, like I, I, I think that I would consider a Michael Mayer. I, I, you know, what? I like I think that I would almost have to get two tight ends back. I'd have mm. to get a floor guy and a ceiling guy. Yeah, because um, I think you're giving up both of those. So, um, and 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 there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. There's nothing wrong with having you know, two guys, you know, kind of a safer guy like a, Dal- a Dallas Goddard and then a, an upside guy like a Michael Mayer. Um, and in fact, you know, you bring up Andrew Cooper and uh, other tight end uh, evaluators. I, it Like I, kind of the pattern that I've noticed is that they generally just keep it fluid above all mm-hmm. else. It's very rare that you get a sustained career like Travis Kelsey's. You know, so uh, there's nothing wrong with keeping it fluid like that and shooting for that build where you've got the one, you know, the high floor guy and the high upside guy. Um, I, so, you know, probably something like that. Uh, and that's just keeping it in the tight end position, like, uh, you know, it, it, to address a different need, um, you know, running backs probably in the range of man i'm trying to vamp so i guess so some names come to me but it's just not there um i mean maybe saquon barkley kind of that range i think uh yeah i could see that i i could certainly see that i i really liked your idea of doubling up i think a lot of really smart nfl teams do this at the tight end position they'll grab you in like the second and fourth round knowing that it's not an exact science at this position. And so if I am going to be tearing off of a top six tight end and, and really moving within the position, grabbing two seems like a great strategy. Yeah. All right. Do you want to move on to quarterback? I mean, this is the super flex super show and it's been, 40 <laughs> but yeah, without talking, really talking about quarterbacks yeah. other than, we talked about Taylor Hineke and Desmond Ritter, so that doesn't count. That <laughs> uh, doesn't qualify. Yeah. All right. How many quarterbacks do you think are going to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft this year? I'll say four. Four. Yeah. And do you think they're going to land in the top 24 of Dynasty startup ADP? Um, at least three of them will. Mm-hmm. The the obvious three, um, you know, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, and uh, uh, Drake May. I think they all pretty easily because I think they all get top ten, if not top five, draft capital uh, in the NFL draft, which makes it a lot easier. It makes it feel a lot safer to elevate them way too high. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm I'm not so sure about Michael Penix. People like I think that he's gonna be viewed as a as a first round talent by NFL evaluators, and this dynasty community is just gonna hate on him relentlessly. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, so I don't know if they'll if they'll allow him to rise up quite that high. Yeah, yeah, and, I get that. The reason I asked that it was certainly a leading question. If you add three or four rookie quarterbacks into the dynasty superflex ranks, I think there's going to be a false sense of security 
in the middle class of quarterback this offseason, this non-point scoring season. I did a study and I looked back 10 years on the warp potential of quarterbacks. You know, how many points do they score and what does that contribute to your wins? And it's remarkably similar. If you expand out to 10 years, you compress down to two or three years. The amount of points that these quarterbacks have been scoring when you get to quarterback 12, 13, 14, all the way down to quarterback 22, it's so similar year over year. And the difference between the quarterback 14 and the quarterback 22 is typically something like two or three points per game. So I'm seeing a huge value gain in the middle class of QB2s, potentially this non-point scoring season, that is not going to be reflected in actual points scored when we're setting lineups. And so I'm wondering if there's a value bubble that we can capitalize on, you know, over the next six months where we can sell whoever is perceived as the QB 14 all the way down to the QB 20. And we can either tier up or we can tear down to avoid a potential huge value loss come August. Yeah. I, so I, like, I thought I was going to disagree with this more. Um, when you kind of put it in the context of, uh, you know, prioritizing a kind of a mid-level quarterback, um, you know, a QB two kind of in the range of like Kirk Cousins, um, Brock Purdy, Jordan Brock, Love. Yeah, man, Jordan Love, I think probably is gonna um, belong in a slightly higher tier, but. I could see it with Brock Purdy. Um, uh, that one's that one's still kind of tough, to be honest with you, just because it's of the system good. he's in, you know, and the weapons yeah. he has. But like you have Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. You're adding in Caleb Will. You're adding in all these young, highly perceived quarterbacks, and then we have some really strong quarterback profiles that underperformed last year. I just don't know how Jordan Love really bumps up in value just because of the competition he's facing within the position. Yeah, there's just a there's an irrationality to it with with the rookies. That's part of the thing. Like anybody who who prioritizes Drake May or even Jaden Daniels over Jordan Love um, is is probably making a a pretty risky bet. Yep. You know, um, Caleb Williams, sure. But like, even then, I mean, you're, you're going to get a greater return from Jordan love than Caleb Williams immediately. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there's kind of, there's kind of multiple forces working here. So, uh, first of all, yeah, those, those rookie quarterbacks are going to be overinflated. All of them. Caleb Williams is going to be ranked way too high. Um, even though I think that he's a better quarterback than Jordan Love, I think he's a better quarterback than Kyler Murray, you know, um, like I think that he's a better player than a lot of these guys. I think he's better than Tua, um, but it, he still shouldn't necessarily be valued as, quite as highly as he's going to be. Uh, but certainly the guys beyond that, Drake May and uh, and Jaden Daniels are going to be 
are going to be ranked too high. They should be in that conversation in that middle tier. We should be talking about, all right, so do I want the kind of the long-term upside of Drake May or do I want the, you know, the, the short-term stability high floor of Kirk Cousins? Like that should be the conversation, but instead it's going to be, all right, who has like who's who's the better dynasty asset? Is it Kyler Murray or is it Drake May? You know, <laughs> like that's yeah. that's pretty nuts. Uh but like like Michael Penix though probably represents the other the other side of this, which is a lot of people are going to choose, just gonna automatically choose Kirk Cousins over Michael Penix. And Again, like I think that it's that it's an internal conversation worth having. Yeah. You know, I don't think that that there's a slam dunk pick and I think it's it kind of depends on roster construction. Uh like like I think there's a time and a place where Kirk Cousins and his floor and his, you know, short-term job security and stuff like that all that all does a lot for you. There are other situations though where he's never going to make it into your lineup other than, you know, potentially bye weeks and like some injuries and stuff, especially if you've got a QBX roster, you know, he, Kirk Cousins never makes it into your lineup. Michael Penix could, it's not particularly likely, but he has a lot more upside. So there's a lot more opportunity for that to happen. Looking at QB 11 right now, uh, the expert consensus ranking is, Tua Tungavailoa, the QB 19 is Kirk Cousins. I wonder if I have any of the quarterbacks in between, if I'm sending out offers to for literally all of them with a second round pick coming back my way added on and just trade within that tier like hell for six months and just see where I end up in August. Mm, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Instead of trying to pick the right players or move deliberately up or down just jump around the tier like crazy and and get a bunch of seconds and thirds and whatever else get your running backs that way (laughs) yeah (laughs) you might even my favorite part of that is that you could even end up adding some quarterback headcount by Mm -hmm. moving around like that um yeah i mean and you know we're certainly not saying that you know eat the whole cow in one bite like you don't go from two a straight to Kirk Cousins, mm-hmm. <laughs> like um, you're missing out on a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities there. But yeah, I mean to kind of start there and just kind of work your way down the tier. Yeah, I think at some point you end up making a deal where you're sending a quarterback and maybe you know something else, something small on top, and getting back two quarterbacks. Yeah, and just play the situations because. We know how the off-season narratives go where we're hot and heavy on one guy for three weeks and then somebody on Twitter puts out a post of, you know, some advanced stats or some vibe and then we're all out on him. And so just to play whoever is the unsexy player in that tier over and over and over again, it might be a fun experiment. I might try it out. Yeah. So here's something I'm curious about, and this is, we're also foreshadowing a a coming debate um, that you and I are inevitably going to have at some point, probably not this episode. I don't know that we've got time to fully let it play out, but 
um, at some point we're, we're going to get into this a little bit more, but, uh, I do, what I do wonder is like, you know, just kind of hypothetically, let's say that your two quarterbacks are Tua and Lamar Jackson. Yep. Which of the two are you prioritizing keeping on your roster? Wow. That's a question. Give me some more context. Well, so uh, I guess uh, part of it is, so we know Lamar Jackson is going to fetch a greater return, right? Yep. Like um, we also, I guess it, like it, it, part of it is how comfortable would you be tearing down from Lamar Jackson and ending up, ending up in that kind of mid QB two range, maybe with two of those guys though, so that you add some depth, um, you know, you've got a, a little bit more floor to add to Tua, um, but you, you do lose the upside of the league MVP, uh, like that. So that's, you know, that's kind of one potential move. Um, the other potential move would be kind of what we were just talking about with Tua, just kind of, you know, slowly work your way down, not necessarily, there's a there's a potential to add some headcount, but it's not a given the way it would be with Lamar Jackson. With Lamar I, Jackson, I think you could go from two to four quarterbacks pretty easily. You could. You certainly could. I am so dead set on moving up in the quarterback position. That's true. Yeah. Where I was referring to the the Tua down to Cousins conversation was more that I, I see them all as the same. And so this question to me is, how confident do I feel that I can be right on predicting the next top six quarterback? You know, is that Anthony Richardson? Am I tearing down to Anthony Richardson? Am I tearing down to a Kyler Murray, let's say, where maybe I might be losing some long-term security, but the points are going to be pretty similar, very likely. And so I think it's it's a matter of how confident you feel in your quarterback evaluations if you're willing to tear down from Lamar Jackson, because I just I wouldn't do that for a value gain specifically. Um, I would do it because I think I'm right in predicting the next guy. With Tua, he seems undervalued right now in terms of what his ceiling could be. It feels like there's a lot of risk as well baked into that profile. Um, but I, I think if I were stuck in a binary decision, I have to trade Lamar Jackson or I have to trade Tua, I think I might actually trade Lamar because I think I can be pretty good at finding um, those profiles absent emotion, which I feel like the quarterback position is a very emotional position in terms of trading and rostership. I think I could probably beat the market using Lamar's value to tear down into an Anthony Richardson or a Justin Herbert or gosh, maybe a Jordan Love or Dak Prescott. That that feels like sort of that that tough spot right there, that tough point where am I sacrificing too many points in my starting lineup just to get another quarterback on my bench? Yeah. So it's kind of like different processes getting to the same basic conclusion mm -hmm. i think um i should have known the answer to that was 
how do I like what gives me the best chance to just corner the market on elite quarterbacks? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we knew that that's the answer. Um, and for me, the answer is how do I get enough quarterbacks that uh, I don't that I don't have to start a non quarterback is super flex that I don't have to get involved in the massive waiver runs. I like, I don't care too much who they are just that I've got guys that are startable, you know? And mm-hmm. to me, Lamar, like I said, Lamar kind of creates an opportunity to move down into multiple uh, quarterbacks, which just kind of helps serve that overall cause of, um, keeping a quarterback at the uh, at the super flex position at all times without overpaying, uh, you know, on waivers for somebody's backup. Um, and so, yeah, like it's it is just kind of a difference in our our overall philosophies. But uh, it is interesting though that that in both cases, Lamar Jackson ends up being a sell. So yeah. maybe maybe it's not the debate that I was expecting. Maybe we're we're both out on Lamar. Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Let's say Anthony Richardson has a very similar career to Lamar Jackson. Are you going to have a vendetta against him as well? Um so are we ta- are we talking uh in terms of yearly finishes? Are we talking uh week to week? A similar career because that's my issue with Lamar Jackson is the week to week, you know, the, in, in a little bit year to year, like the, uh, the big thing has been injuries in the past. Um, but it's, it's the, the kind of ebbing and flowing between 40 points and 12 points, you know, like that drives me nuts. And if Anthony Richardson does that, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to, him and I are going to have an issue too. but wouldn't they be like the perfect almost like pistons in a car to have as your qb1 and your qb2 uh yeah kind of um other than the 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 possibility other than the fact that you've got two players with an extremely low floor um, and that could like, they could both hit their floor at the same time in week 16 and your season's over. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's my only problem with it, but like overall, I kind of like the idea of, um, you know, these two just monster upside guys, uh, who, you know, all you need is one of them to have a game anywhere near their ceiling. And they kind of cover the scoring for both of them. I like that part of it. Uh, it's just the it it just it just it does ultimately. I would do it. It just scares me a little bit to think like, man, they could both give you a dud game, and like they both have it well within their DNA to do it in week sixteen. Mm-hmm. Super friends, I so badly want one of you. To build your team this way and to be done <laughs> <down> with it. <laughs> Please, somebody out there. <laughs> or maybe I'll just go do it. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> just grumble through the entire thing, like just hating it. Just like, oh, this is so stupid. I can't believe I have these two quarterbacks of all players 
and I'm just rubber stamp starting them every single week. And I'm just rolling through, just going undefeated all the way until the semifinals and then just get shit stomped. But like, I just, I, I like, I'm going to absolutely hate it, but I would do it just for the irony. Mm-hmm. Would you rather pair Lamar Jackson with CJ Stroud or with Anthony Richardson? Uh, that is a good question. I mean, I think generally speaking, it's, it's gotta be CJ Stroud. Like, I still think that there's, uh, there's quite a bit of power in having that floor, that weekly, that weekly floor of CJ Stroud. Um, it kind of, it, it allows you to take some risks at other positions and specifically that other quarterback position it you it doesn't kill you when Lamar Jackson only gets you 12 points you know the way it would if he got 12 points and Anthony Richardson got 12 points like that's pretty brutal at that point yeah I mean matchups aren't typically all that close anyway I'm trying to think through my head how I would build these teams now I think what I would want to do is have one of these high volume tight ends to supplement, to build more of a baseline across my roster. If I'm going to roster Anthony Richardson and Lamar Jackson, I think the the combination of a high volume tight end and those two quarterbacks would sort of smooth out some of that variance and create a lot more ceiling than maybe a CJ Stroud would. I, I'm a little concerned about CJ Stroud, uh, the pocket passer. I think everything went right for him this year. I think there's going to be a, a time when he hits a pretty significant value dip because he only threw 28 touchdowns that year and not 40. Yeah, it's it's certainly possible. And I mean, the the sophomore slump seems to hit quarterbacks pretty frequently. So, uh, yeah, it's it's it, it's certainly possible, like to a point where that's probably the way you should place your bets for 2024. Um, is a, a some some negative regression for CJ Stroud um, over the course of time I think you're you're fine like if you don't have CJ Stroud that's going to create kind of a buy window yeah it's it's going to end up paying off pretty big but uh, in the meantime like yeah that and and even if it doesn't happen in 2024 it'll happen eventually it gets everybody at some point. Pat Mahomes just had a down season that everybody wants to knock him for, you know? Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's, I mean, that's the deal you make with pocket passers, but those were my hot takes. Um, I'm going to be expecting an apology uh, on <laughs> air from you in August. <laughs> Super excited about that. And, and very excited for the screenshots that I'm going to get DM to me. Uh, with these obscene quarterback builds that are going to destroy you with Lamar Jackson. So <laughs> <laughs> things are looking up in 2024. <laughs> uh, this sounds absolutely horrible. I don't know if I'm going to survive <laughs> the non-point scoring season with all this apologizing and <laughs> praising Lamar Jackson. And it's it's just... It's getting really gross. It feels really sticky in here right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think we need to wrap crawling. it up then, John. <laughs> we got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Now that my bowels have been sufficiently loosened, 
let's uh let's go ahead and wrap this one up for the week and as we do that ask you for a quick favor if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts you can also subscribe to that dlf family of podcast mega feed get access to all the great podcasts from dynastyleaguefootball.com once you subscribe to the Superflex super show if you do us a huge favor rate and review the show helps us to get out to more people, involve more people in the conversation. And from there, we can really drill down to the topics that are the most useful to you, our super friends. You can get at us on Twitter X. He's at FFTommyB. I'm at SuperFlexDude. This episode was dedicated in loving memory to James Abrancatulis. Thank you to DynastyLeagueFootball.com for the platform. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music. And above all else, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy.